sweet is the word. That, 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 that may be a bit too critical. It seemed... Too perfect. Too perfect. Voided. Uh, uh, not that I don't mean there should have been conflict, but the family just seemed too nice and too many... Uh, was Barbara Billingsley in Pearls? Yes. And the Nelsons translated that into everyday life. It was just too perfect. Tipper McGee, on the other hand, I agree, was just so well done because even if you never knew anybody like Fibber, he was believable. I mean, I mean, everyone had a person uh, who, who did stretch things a lot. Uh, and his name, but but yet he was a warm-hearted person. Even if he stretched things, he was a warm-hearted person that you cared about. Mm-hmm. And it, part of that was because Molly loved him and tolerated everything that he did. All of his eccentricities, I mean, in, the, in his uh, right. hang-ups. And nobody was harsh. Nobody was so critical that they hurt the other person. The repartee between Doc and Sibber was part of a good-natured exchange, and then they'd pack off and go to Jiggins Lake to go fishing together. So it wasn't a hurtful exchange, even though it sounded barbed. <clears throat> Excuse me, it was part of an act. Nobody got hurt in those shows. Well, like, and it's like Gildersleeve, uh, the great Gildersleeve. You cared about the characters. Mm -hmm. Josh Hooker could get on Gildy's nerves, but you know they cared about each other. Exactly. Uh, Leroy could fully grade on Gildersleeve's nerves, and when he said Leroy, you know he meant business, but yet they cared about each other, and Bertie and uh, Marjorie and... Uh, all the people at the Jolly Boys Club, and, and, and they liked each other. My problem with television, and, and I noticed this in the set, I was, you know, I, I would walk, I had a landlady once that said, why do you live in the past so much? Can't you watch television? <laughs> no. <laughs> she asked me that in the 70s. She says, these things are, do you hear, are 20 or 30 years old? She says, don't you ever laugh at anything current? And I, and I, and I try to explain that, TV comedy to me, and I'm talking about the 70s type, your um, good times, all in the family, mm -hmm. at a time type of things. Mm -hmm. well, they, they were going to be insulting, like Maude would tell somebody to buzz off or something, it was meant as an insulting remark. Mm -hmm. you, when Gildersleeve would say something, you never felt it was, in, you know, you never felt it was insulting. Right. And I just never could... Uh, laugh at those kind of things. And, and I did a speech once in a speech class on why I liked classic radio. Uh -huh. And it got a good response. I got an A on the speech. I wish I, I don't have the tape of my presentation anymore, but I spoke in the, this talk about how on old-time radio, when a criminal was brought to justice, whether it be Johnny Dollar, Mr. Keene, Matt Dillon, whoever, you always had the feeling that right would prevail. When you watch a movie, a made-for-TV movie today, I said, and you're about some child that was affected, say, by birth defects from a, from, a, from a corporation. I just use that as an example. There's no justice in it. The court leaves, you leave the movie with the, the case pending before court, and the wrongdoing, whatever wrong there may have been, wasn't uh, settled. Where on radio... You always got the feeling, that, at least for 30 minutes, that you were secure for another week when Johnny Dollar was on the job. Uh -huh. In fantasy, it may have been fiction, but you had that feeling that, well, at least for 
at least 30 minutes, the world's a safer place. Mm-hmm. And a happier place in the case of the comedies. And I don't, I don't feel that with a lot of television. I mean, maybe I'm, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'm a bit prejudiced because I never really... I always thought television wrecked radio, and I've never been gotten over that. I mean, I ne- and I've, uh, I've never understood why in our entertainment culture there isn't room. I'm not in favor of banning television, but I've always felt we should have room in our culture for both radio and television, and we don't today. And it, and it always bothered me that movies continue to survive, Books continue to survive. Uh, Broadway continues to survive in spite of television. But radio was the only medium that was actually allowed to die. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a sore point with me. I think it's been a sore point with a lot of people. It's, um, it, it's hard to recognize that one medium could actually stomp on another, that it pulled the plug on another very enjoyable part of our broadcast history. And, and, and people say, well, there's plenty of radio today, and I, and I my friend said, there's lots of innovative radio today, and I said, you t- except for yesterday, USA, I say, you tell me where it is, and I'll, and I'll look for it. Yeah. But, it's, but it's, there's a sameness to it, and, uh, and, and it just seems like we, I, I know a lot of it's economically driven, but it just seems like we could have room in our culture for both. And, uh, and you, I don't know if you heard Walden's interview with Ray Breen last night. Oh, yes, I did. Excellent interview. And Ray was decrying, who spent years as a talk host, was decrying the general poor state of talk radio today for the political agenda of the host, but the fact that it was all syndicated, it was all basically not debate anymore, but just, what did he say about it, Walden, exactly, that the host or uh, I think he, he believed that if not any room for point counterpoint, today's talk radio is basically one tone. It's, it's a one-sided presentation. It's not an exchange of ideas. Right. Yeah. And he and he and he's playing, even though he was a political conservative. He loved getting on the phone and calling Moscow. Well, we're talking to Lefty Louise. Lefty Louise. He loved um, hearing. Recording shortwave and bring in what the Communist Party of China was saying, and they love reading the newspaper out loud from different points of the countries in the world to show point counterpoint. What is the homogenization today? When I used to go drive with my parents, when my parents would move or we'd go on vacations, one of the pleasures I always enjoyed when we would stop at a motel was monitoring the radio dial in different cities to hear what, what the formats of different stations were, what networks they were affiliated with, what they sounded like. Today, it's all the same. You have the same talk shows every place, and even when you hear music, much of the time it's just a satellite service with the same disc jockey uh-huh. uh, everywhere. Yeah. I guess I, I would love to think we have enough space on the dial for national broadcasting to have the quality that I grew up with. Uh-huh. I just don't understand why why the formats uh, that we grew up with, the three of us who listened to it and talk radio in the 60s and 70s, is not blossoming here 40 years later. I don't understand. Uh-huh. And most of it is unspectacular, forgettable. I mean, 
picture people. Let, let us say there's a Yesterday USA radio network 50 years from now, 60 years from now. Can you picture callers 50 or 60 or 70 years from now on a Saturday night talking about those great shows from the 2010s? No. <laughs> this is good. Well, but Walden already knows how I feel about talk radio. I am a talk radio junkie. My problem is that I don't have talk radio to listen to. I've got didactic, pedantic um, lectures coming from all different fronts, but people like uh, Barry Gray, who is no longer with us, but Barry Farber, for example, Walden and I talked with him a couple of years ago. He is one of the fathers of old-time talk radio where you had an exchange of ideas. You had callers calling in with some thoughts that the, the host wound up talking about. Whether he agreed with it or not, he wound up talking about it. He didn't hang up because the person didn't agree with him. And we're missing so much opportunity in our radio abilities today, and it's just not out there. Well, the one nice thing is I am glad that the books on tape and I guess CDs now have made at least reading uh, what isn't what isn't old town radio. It is as it at least made reading accessible to people who might normal who might normally never listen to. Uh, and brother, and I think you would agree that the books on tape have certainly helped a lot. Yes. Yes. One of the things I hear a story that happened a few weeks ago. My friend's, uh, my my housemate's boyfriend, they were watching the Super Bowl, and they want he had to run an errand, and they said, "Oh darn it, I'm going to have to miss the Super Bowl." And I said, "You know, you can hear the Super Bowl on the radio in your car." And I mentioned the station that was carrying it and the frequency. Didn't matter. They didn't listen to it on the radio. They said, "You know, I, I guess they don't." The idea is, unless you see it on television, it's not there. Uh-huh. Well, me, and you know, you don't even, when people review the Super Bowl commercials and the like, no one ever reviews the radio coverage. It's as if radio wasn't even covering it. But that's, I guess that's, that's more modern stuff. But anyway, I have the answer for your question about Ted Weems. Uh-oh. But if you want, uh, I can't think of any prize. I'm still waiting to get my MP fixed, so maybe maybe you can give it just as a gift for me to the next person who calls. All right. That would be terrific. That's uh, two CDs. All right. Because right, I've gotten some nice things from you, and, and I want somebody else to have a chance. If you haven't received something recently, uh, you know, from our last conversation, I mailed a whole bunch of stuff on Tuesday this week, so... Same thing the other day. I got the Planet Man and whatever whatever else you... Okay, excellent. Uh, for anybody else out there who might be waiting for something from me, <laughs> it's like, the check is in the mail. I swear they're in the mail. I mailed everything on Tuesday uh, because Monday was a holiday. Okay, what's the answer? The answer, and PC does not mean politically correct. Ooh. It means Perry Carl. Yes, it does. Well, can you want to give the background information on that again? Sure. Perry Como was hit down with a barber, and so Perry had that as a, a trade in Ohio. In fact, I think he even uh, picked up, uh, he, he had that in Ohio. He started seeing a roadhouse in Ohio. And by the mid-30s, Ted Weems had an orchestra, 
a top Perry Como who beat male singer and uh, a guy named who later changed her name to Marilyn Maxwell, a female singer. And the opening act, by the way, can you imagine a band will go on the road and have an opening ma- act and with Paul Winchell and Gary Mahoney? Mm-hmm. Love it. And he's 15. Paul won the amateur hour of Major Bowes, and he was the opening act, he and Gary Mahoney. So, so by they moved to Chicago. He became part. Uh, Ted Williams Orchestra became part of the uh, Ribbon McGee and Molly Show in 1937. Uh, Doug stayed around Chicago. Had his own uh, show called Beat the Band, which some case will sneak a couple of those in. Um, but Perry was very fond of staying with the orchestra, so he stayed with for nine years. Extremely long time, but. By the war, got on his own, got to be his own, uh, had his own radio show, started to have gigantic hits in the 40s and 50s, and of course TV in the 50s, and kept it going in the 60s, and still we had major hits all the way up to 1973, so. Hi, he was really, he was, uh, he even had, well, I don't know we're talking about this one, even as late as 1974, he had a Christmas song, which was used in the movie The Odessa File, called A Christmas Dream. Yeah. Cleared in 1974, and he had, uh, and, and when you think about it, how durable he was, in 1971, in the midst of the rock era, with Elton John and the Jackson Five and all of that, Perry Como had a major top ten hit with It's Impossible. Yeah. And could still... You know, still make, and then he also had things like, and I love you so. I love you so. I love that song. I love you so. You ever wrote that? Who? Don McLean. I did not know that. The same, you know, American Pie? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrote that. Really? My goodness. There was a second part to that question, Jim. Okay. What did he do before he started singing professionally? Was a barber. All right. Very good. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and very talented, uh, I mean, as a singer, I, I mean, I'm sure he was a good barber, too. <laughs> very, uh, my mother always liked Perry Como. She was, I think, his favorite, and her favorite, one of her favorite songs from the war was Till the End of Time. Till the mm. End of Time. Yeah. And it was, uh, and I think my favorite, well, there were several I liked. I liked his, his Prisoner of Love was one of mine. Mm-hmm. I also liked uh, in this in this in the uh, '60s. He had a hit called Katarina in 1962 mm-hmm. that I liked. Uh, my mother always liked It's Impossible. She was so happy that in the rock era, you know, he had he could still be heard. And his Christmas specials were very nice. And of course, he had some nice people on his regular TV show. Uh, Frank Gallup was his announcer, mm-hmm. and uh, I know one of his singers was Sandy Stewart. And Kay Ballard was on there, I think. Right. And the Ray Charles singers were on there. Yep, Ray Charles, who just turned his 91. Really? Yep. They call him, back when, back when Ray Charles, the singer, was around, they always separated him by calling him the other Ray Charles. Yeah, the other Ray Charles, yeah. Just to avoid confusion. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I remember Frank Gallup, I always used to introduce him and say, and now here is Mr. C. Nice show on, you know, on Saturdays and later Wednesdays. And, of course, the Ray Charles singers would always sing, Ladders, we get ladders, we get lots and lots of ladders. And then he would play a song like Catch a Falling Star.
it was a, um, a very pleasant hour. That's another thing that's missing from television today is the variety show. Yep. Sunny and Sue, remember we grew up on Sunny and Sue in the 70s, at least I do. The last variety show, the last person to have a network variety show, I think, and maybe one of your callers can correct me if I'm wrong, I think Dolly Parton was the last one to have a variety show mm. in the 80s. Right, wow. And they say the reason is they're expensive to do is one thing I've heard, and the other thing is because the music tastes are so different among different generations now, where it used to be the whole family could listen, you know, watch Ed Sullivan or Andy Williams or Perry Como, and there would be a star for each generation on there. The music tastes are so diverse now that it'd be very hard to do a full-fledged variety show. It sure would be. But that's one of the nice things we have is our memories, our collective memories of these things, and it, it makes it makes life so nice. Well, Wendy, it's always a pleasure. Both of you have a nice evening. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for playing with us. Okay, and and uh, and well, and that that's my take anyway on why I think so many dramas and things were different in the fifties. Is the whole culture was much more serious. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. And let's go, Jim. 714-545-2071. We have a second February McGee and Molly show. You know, so somebody don't sneak in a call in here, we'll play another February McGee and Molly. We love that. And this would be it's another 1942 episode. Right, Patricia? Did I lose Patricia? I did! Oh my gosh, I hit the wrong button. I hit the wrong button. I lost Patricia. That's not even fair. Why would I do that? You think I dialed the wrong number? Yep. Huh. What should I do? That's a no-no. Call you losing your own co-host. This is Yes to USA. You think Patricia took a, you think she went off and had a, a snack? Hello? Hello? Are you there? I accidentally hung up on you. Um, did you hang up on me? I think I did. Oh, the, gee, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> We're back on the air. I, th- I thought my phone pooped because it was chirping on me, so it might be on my end as well. Hello? I'm on the wrong phone, but we'll just have to put up with it for a little bit. Can that's we do I think I accidentally hung up on you. That's why. Oh my goodness! I I didn't think I did that, but I I think I might have. So. Are we on air right we now? We are. Oh, we are. We are. Oh, hello everybody. <laughs> 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 We're having this wonderful conversation. Yeah. Um, one way or another. <laughs> I'm glad we got back together again. Yeah. Hello. Uh, if we don't get a phone call here in this next second, you want to introduce our second Fibber McGee and Molly show? I would be happy to. We've got potluck trivia right now. 
and uh, somebody can call in any time, and I will read to them the questions, but it has to be before the next show. And the next show is called Gas Rationing. It's another World War II show, and it is from December 1st, 1942, which is almost a year to the day from uh, the beginning of our involvement in World War II with um, the attack on Pearl Harbor. And it is later in the same year as the scrap drive, so they're really getting into uh, war effort support here. And Fibber learned, uh, the, by the way, the um, gas rationing went into effect at the end of 1942. So this is Fibber's first introduction to gas rationing. And he is in a snit because the rationing board has limited him to four gallons a week, which means he had an A sticker in his car. And that particular sticker was issued to car owners who were determined to have non-essential use of their cars, which, of course, put Fibber <coughs> excuse me, in all kinds of a snit because he is <laughs> most assuredly an essential person. So gas rationing was not instituted to save gas, and I think probably most people know that. It was, um, even though fuel conservation was an issue during World War II, it was the um, conserving uh, conservation of rubber needed for tires that was the important feature in here. So the way to save tires was to restrict driving, and they restricted it by limiting the amount of gas that people were allowed to have. So it's one of the shows in which, and, and this is really interesting, um, S.C. Johnson gave up its advertising space in the middle of the show in favor of war effort support. S.C. Johnson just said, fine. And it's another indication of the kind of support that Johnson gave to this particular program. It's also the last show for Mayor Latrivia for a while because he, in reality, uh, and also Gail Gordon, who played him, joined the Coast Guard. So both Gail Gordon and Mayor Latrivia are uh, one and the same person, and both of them are going into the Coast Guard. So that's part of the show as well. And that's my introduction. Here is Fibber McGee. Uh, Walton has it all lined up for us. Yep. Fibber McGee and Molly, and the episode is titled Gas Rationing from December 1st, 1942. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Hallelujah. <laughs> friend's house last night, I sat alongside the window and couldn't help noticing that the windowsills had been waxed and were shining. I looked around the room and I'll bet I saw ten other places that had been waxed. Picture frames, Venetian blinds, lampshades, ornaments, even the bricks around the fireplace. Of course, the floors and woodwork were waxed and the furniture too. I couldn't help thinking how much genuine Johnson's Wax is helping all of us in this critical time to take better care of the things we have. And because germ-laden dirt won't readily adhere to a waxed surface, 
It's helping to keep homes more sanitary and thereby helping folks guard their health. There are three forms of genuine Johnson's wax, paste, liquid, and cream wax. rationing has just come to Wistful Vista. And in spite of its being a meatless day, in spite of its being a meatless day, get a load of the beef being put up by an average citizen as we meet Booger McGee and Molly. I tell you, it ain't fair, Molly. They can't do this to me. Four gallons a week. Why, that's ridiculous. I think so, too. You do? Yes, you don't need four gallons. <laughs> I'll gun it, I do, too. Four gallons is outrageous. Where can I go on four gallons of gas? Where do you want to go, dearie? Well, gee whiz, I... Well, what if I did want to go someplace? <laughs> in, in an emergency or something? You mean like running out of cigars? Yes. No! <laughs> running out of cigars ain't an emergency. You never spoke a truer word, McGee. Huh? When I get a whip of those poison panatellas of yours... I know why tobacco auctioneers talk that way. What you mean? <laughs> Those fellas are hysterical. Uh, forget my cigars. I'm talking about this mileage rationing. I think it's a dirty deal. The whole thing is silly. It's going to make everybody stay at home. Why, in two years, a guy from Indiana won't know what a guy from Kansas is talking about. Where are you from? Illinois. <laughs> that has happened already. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about giving all the car owners a measly little medicine dropper full of gasoline. <laughs> it's an infringement on private rights. That's what it is. Look, dearie, look. The main reason they're rationing gasoline is to save tires. Don't you know that if we continue driving like we have been, a majority of automobiles will be off the road next year? Good. There's too much traffic anyway. <laughs> too crowded. Get the cars off the road. That'll be fine. That's swell. Well, I'm glad you feel that way because yours will probably be one of them. Reached you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And we're going to go get Patricia on the other line. And we have a call to talk to Patricia when we get back. But let me give her a call and we'll be with you, everybody. summer kisses, the sunburned hands I used to hold since you went away. The days grow long. And we'll turn to our day. 
and say hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. That's such a great song. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have a caller? Ah, I do have a caller. Hello, Mr. Haygood. You have the answer to Patricia's trivia question, don't you? Well, I thought I did. Hello? I thought I did. I thought I had the answer to your question. I did. I did. Okay. This is the one that said during World War II, advertisers formed a council. Advertisers formed a council that was committed to war efforts. What was the name of the council? Did you find it? Yep. It was the Ad Council. Well, not quite. It isn't the Ad Council? No, that's Advertising Council. You're getting closer. The Advertising Council. <laughs> <laughs> Got the right number of letters. <laughs> advertising Council. No, it was the War Advertising Council, which eventually became the Advertising Council, which became known as today's Ad Council. It was the precursor, but it began as the War Advertising Council. How about that? In 1941, oh, no, no, in February 1942. Is that what I said? Is that what you said? I don't know. I didn't say. I don't know. I didn't, uh, I should have. I didn't write the date down because it did form at a specific time. Yeah. Do you know what uh, famous campaigns it's known for? What famous campaigns? The what war council? The, the, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean just during World War II, but I mean from... World War II till the present? Well, they do public service announcements. You know which famous campaigns it, 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 it's most famous campaigns it had? Well, I guess not. Give me a hand. Uh, I'll give you some. Give me, you give, ready? Me, give me. Okay, Rosie the Riveter was developed by the War Advertising Council as part of its Women in War Jobs campaign. Yes, yes, yes. And did they do loose lips sink ships? It, they very could have. I, it's not written here, though. They do mention the crying Indian, if you remember the anti-pollution campaign. Yes, yes, yes. That was a classic By one. the way, YouTube. you know. Now, supposedly, I'll give you another trivia question. You remember the crying Indian from the early 70s, right? Yes. The guy, okay. Suppose there is a rumor out there that he was not, the guy that played that Indian was not Native American at all. Supposedly, he, he uh, you tell me what, what, and uh, if you look him up, they actually will claim that they've confirmed that he wasn't Native American, but what nationality do you say, do you think they say he was? Hmm. Ooh, I get to pick? I would pick. What did you say? I would pick the country of India. No, he. They say that he was Sicilian. I believe that. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that was the yeah, yeah that was yeah I don't know. That would what? be a terrible disappointment. No, I I would have to find confirmation of that. Did you find it in more than one place? Because if it's yeah. on the internet, you know it has to be true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was when he passed away. Uh, a lot of it was it was the news of the day when he passed away. They, a lot of the news sources were claiming uh, that he was either born or his parents were born or immigrants in a, from a Sicilian place. So interesting. Unless, unless he was, his grandparents were Native American, moved to Italy, and then they moved back. 
You know, who knows? So, but anyways, that's the story. And also, is famous for the United Negro College Fund campaign with its slogan, A Mind is a Terrible Thing to Waste. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not a good yeah. slogan. Um, yeah. That's okay. A McGruff campaign with its slogan, Take a Butt Out of Crime. The McGruff, Absolutely. the crime dog. Yeah, crime dog, McGruff. Yes, it's McGruff. McGruff, yeah. And Friends Don't Let Friends Drive Drunk campaign for the U.S. Department of Transportation until 2005. Uh-huh. Boy, they really and, good stuff. And this one, you'll love this one. In 1944, this was campa- this campaign was created to educate Americans about the harm wildfires could cause the war effort and the danger that Japanese might deliberately start forest fires by shelling West Co- the West Coast of the United States. Wow. In 1947... This uh, advertising icon uh, finally had a new phrase coined for, coined for him called, Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. Smokey Bear. You got it. Wow. Their most recent famous campaign. It's Vince and Larry who are... They ask me that again, please. I missed... Vince and Larry. They are... I don't know. The crash test dummies. Oh, silly me. I forgot. Larry, I would have remembered, but not the other one. And I feel really rude for taking over your trivia show. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, it, it's, it's like, you know, people who can't write edit. <laughs> it's one of those, I can't answer any of these questions, so I'm quite content in asking them. So when you turn the tables, it serves me right. No, that's okay. I just, I, you got me thinking. I went, went back to my little home computer, my home research lab, huh? and I just started tur- looking around to see what I could find, and that's what I found. So. You found it. Well, this is cool. Well, thank you so much for wrecking my image about uh, the Indian. That was really nice of you to do that. Well, I, I, I was completely a shock, too, so yeah. I don't know why you should be spared if I can't. <laughs> is Walden still with us? Is there, there's something about my presence that will meet. He's just sitting there, just kind of kicking back. I'm, I I'm enjoying it. I, I'm enjoying this. I thought maybe you were in the kitchen taking, getting a, a bite to eat or something. Uh, you know, uh, this week I had my pictures taken for the Yesterday USA website. Oh, you did? And... We had so much camera equipment in my bedroom, because I thought that'd be one that I would show some of the my, some of the funny gags. Uh-huh. But I didn't. My poor friend Bob Walker, who Brian met, I didn't want to take. I didn't want to take the camera, the lighting, all we got to the garage and have people sh- show me grabbing a can of pop. So, oh, so people. So what are you go- saying? That you're saying that you have a live webcam now? No, no, no. I I took. Um, Kim wants to put up pic- new pictures on the website. And so my friend Bob Walker is a professional photographer. Right. So he took he brought his lighting material from my bedroom. Mm-hmm. The, the these are new cameras, by the way, can also take video. Unbelievable. Oh. Unbelievable. So I just didn't want to have Bob to reset the whole gigamarole that they showed me. You know, I could. I thought it'd be funny to have a little caption. Here's what Walden do when Brian's on the air, and they show me out in the garage, grab me a can of pop. Nor. <laughs> you know. 
No, don't. So, hey, don't. And for you other people out there, don't think that Walden's only doing that when I'm on the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, sir, you are a lot of fun. I really appreciate all the extra information. I'm serious about that. Oh, no, that's fine. Do you have another question for me? Um, sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> she thinks I've used up my, my, uh, you think I should get off the air and go to another call? You want me to call you and put you on the house phone, Brian? Might be easier to hear. Sure. Okay, why don't I hang up and call you on the house phone? All right. And that way you don't get brain cancer. He just keeps screaming that cell phone's going to give him brain cancer someday. I don't know. They've, um, they're coming up with some pretty impressive statistics lately and dismissing the poo-poo that people gave it when it first came out several years ago. Hmm. So, good thing I know some of us. Yesterday, USA of the Pacific Northwest. That's right. Hello, hello. We've just about, you know what you need to do right now, Walden? What's that, Brian? I think you need to call somebody from New England. We'll have the four corners of the United States covered. That's true. If Fred from Vermont was awake, we could have done that. Let's wake him. And last week we asked for someone from New York. Now, we've got a lot of listeners in New York, and no one from New York called. I know. Right now, our interesting, our demographics are very interesting, everybody. Over the last 30 days, New York is the number one popular listening area for Yesterday USA, followed by Los Angeles at number two, San Diego number three, and Chicago number four. Right now, over the last 30 days, 114 different countries are listening to Yesterday USA. Really? That is staggering to me. Hmm. 114. Hmm. Well, <laughs> that's for our Chinese listeners. You know, so we just got to make sure we're on good behavior, everybody. You never uh, know what dialect. Do you know any Spanish? I, I had two years of Spanish. I'll say something in Spanish for our Spanish listeners. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis. Oh, great, Walden. Jeez. And I know what that <laughs> You know more than that, don't you, Patricia? You can find a McDonald's in another country. I mean, really, I have such admiration for people who learn a second language, and especially people who move to a different country and have to learn the language. I have in bigger admiration even more so for people who will just learn the first language. Well, that, uh, yeah, as, as long as it's, um... So many people don't anymore, you know? No, I know. I'm, I'm trying to think of a polite way to say I'm really weary of hearing her and me went to the store and, like, um, you know, really? <laughs> you like to have proper grammar. He's hurt that. <laughs> say that again? Brian? Yeah, well, I was going to say the Fibber McGee and Molly is a great show. I love the one you just played. Okay. I'm losing him. What, what's that? I think, Patricia, Patricia you, have you, are you, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you fine. And Brian? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Oh, okay. I said Fibber McGee and Molly is a great show. I love the one you just played. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. <laughs> it was the space in between that I thought I uh, Okay, no, that's fine. No, and I thought it was a great show. Okay. And, oh, yeah, I did. I paused it because I had to cough. I've been getting over this chest cold, and I don't want to blow loudspeakers out all across America, so I paused <laughs> it to take a breath and cough. Okay. I'm sorry. Not professional. 
It was the pause. I'm not accustomed to hearing you pause. No, that's <laughs> true. I've been. I'm not known for the pause that. Re- Actually, it is the pause that refreshes, that's isn't right. it, Walden? Yep. Yep. Is it was it uh, Coke? Was it Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Coke. They had that catchphrase in the. I think it was Coke, or was it Pepsi? Now I'm confused. I think it might be um, the pause. That might have been Pepsi. Who? What is the question here? The catchphrase. The pie that refreshes. Who had it? Was it Pepsi Cola or Coca Cola? Coke. Coke. Pep- uh, Coca Cola. I want to say Coke. I want to say Coke. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll take you. Take you. I remember the shows that that was on, like some music show. Yeah, it was. It, it was uh, Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Percy, Percy, Percy Face and his orchestra. Andre Costalonitz, right? Yeah. That, that was you a, just said. That was another one. Oh, okay, because I remember Andre Costalonitz was the pause that refreshed Right, also Percy Face and Buddy Clark, the melody hour. Mm. And Brian, your responsibility is to look it up and make sure that we are correct, because after I said it, I thought, wait a minute, just like Walden did, maybe that's not right, so you have to... Okay, I'll, I'll look it up, I'll uh-huh. look it up. If, uh, I mean, Pepsi Cola, I'm thinking it's the one that had the jingle. Pepsi Cola. hits the spot. Twelve full ounces, that's a lot. Twice as much for a nickel, too. Pepsi Cola has a drink, drink for, for you. you. Oh, nickel, 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 trickle, trickle, trickle. <laughs> don't let me get carried away, guys. No, don't get carried away, Brian. <laughs> when the two of you start to sing, it also makes my teeth hurt. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, you did fine. You you were just about, um, both of you were on key there, so that was okay. We can. We, we can be on key when we want to. Uh-huh. Three out of four notes, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're too funny. Yeah. Okay, this is for... I'm looking up the pause that refreshes. Don't think I'm not. Yeah. Hey, what did you think of earlier when you were talking about uh, sitcoms? Did you agree with Jim about the TV sitcoms? In what respect? We talked uh, like 14 different parts of it. Oh, did you agree that... Did you Did you like... Did you like the 70s sitcoms? Were you as averse to them as he was? I never watched them. I, I can't help you with that. Yeah, I didn't. Patricia I was, wasn't part of the TV generation. Patricia wasn't part of the TV generation. Oh, you weren't, Patricia. Well, great for you. Positive Refreshes was Coca-Cola. It was. Okay. I was right. I'll tell you something that I hate about TV. Let me give you, and I tell you a little bit about what I hate about TV, and I can do it 20 seconds or less. It has to do with the NBC Olympics, right? Uh-huh. I live in Seattle, Washington, right? Uh-huh. Right? Okay. We are only just not too far across the border from Vancouver, where these darn Olympics are happening, right? Right. Well, NBC, in its infinite wisdom, will show those Olympics to you live and then tape away it for us three hours later, and we live right here. Two seconds. It's done. Okay. That's it. Wow. Well. Radio would have never done that. Uh-huh. Live radio all the way. That's right. So, what's the next stuff we here, Molly, we got going tonight? We have, have one. another one, but I want to give a, a grand prize type bonus question um, for other listeners. Can we oh, leave this? No, i got to get off that. But would you guys have a wonderful evening, and I will stay off the line so you guys can give away these prizes. Well, you don't have to stay off the line, but I'd really, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that you would probably know the answer to this. You and, and Walden are um, on top of all of this stuff. But 
I have to learn it one little show at a time, so I'm really impressed that I remember what this one is. Okay. You want me to say it out loud? I'll say it out Yeah, right. Okay. What was... Correct name. Correct name. What was the name of Amos's cab company, the actual name of his cab company, and why did it get that name? I want to say, was it the Sunshine? Don't, 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 don't. don't. <laughs> oh, am I not supposed to say it? No. No. I didn't have, oh, I, that wasn't it anyways. I know the answer. Good. I know the answer. The initials are F.A. <laughs> right. Well, you too. <laughs> and just as a clue to people, it is not the Fred Allen cab company. It is not the Fred Allen cab company. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that's wonderful. Um, what's the price for our lucky listeners tonight that they're going to answer that? If they answer that and they have two parts, they, if they give me the name of the company, that's one CD. Well, we'll give them two CDs for that one because that's a pretty big one. So the name of the company gets two CDs, and if you tell me why it got that name, they get an extra one. So it's a three-CD question. No, I, I years ago remember somebody writing in a book about why it got that name, but you actually have me there because I don't remember. I don't remember. So you got me on that one. Walden probably knows. But, no, because um, I heard the show two days ago. So <laughs> Really? What what year was the show from? Oh, crikey, I don't remember. Was it a 40 sitcom one? Because you they must have... Very early ones. Oh, okay. Who's been... Where are you listening to those from? I mean, you got them on CD? On, on my computer, yeah. Really? So how many of those are available, those, like, 1930s shows? Oh, of the 1930s. Well, let me see. I hope these are dated. A lot of them weren't properly identified, so. Yes, it makes you wonder if they're recreations. Um, well, the earliest one that we know that started at Dory Line was in 1928. Really? And you have that too, Walden? I do because Dr. Michael Beale discovered it and gave me a copy of it. Wow. One start, and I've only got a couple. I've got one from 1939, and a couple from 1940, and then the rest uh, begin at, it looks like, 1943. So I don't have any of the really early ones. Well, 43 was the last year that it was a 15-minute serial, because in the fall, I mean, it ended, like, I think, spring on CBS, and I think that in the fall... Then it moved to NBC, is or was it? Wasn't it right in the fall that it became a sitcom? Correct. On NBC, right? On uh, CBS. It was first on CBS as a sitcom. It was. Okay, because I remember it being on CBS as a 15-minute show. Are you sure about that? Well, it moved to NBC the next year. I think so because the first show, the Victory thing, was Cecil B. DeMille and all those, and those guys were luck shows. Okay, but it might have been because of the sponsorship. It could have been. It could have been. Well, you, I'm trying to remember, did I give you this Amos and Annie book? Yes. Well, then why don't you pull it up? All right, I will, if, if Patricia can wait that long. Yeah, she can wait. I mean, this is what this, this is what the Saturday Night Show is known for, is research. Is that refreshes? Patricia? And I think everybody should be reminded to bring their Coca can of Coca Cola to the show. I'm a Pepsi kid. Huh? Pepsi. I'm a Pepsi kid. Well, I am too, but I mean, this is a positive refresher, so 
We can just get a new Coke. Like, at least put it in a glass and say it's Coke. Well, if we're going to appropriate some advertising copy, we might as well make it the most effective possible, and that would be the pause that refreshes. You've got it. <laughs> I don't think stealing advertising copy is a good idea, though. Well, let them come get us. <laughs> um, I'll take responsibility. Okay, here we go. 19, well, she's in the later years. I'm just looking, I'm just looking. History, things you never knew about. This, by the way, this book that I'm looking at is the original Amos Sinandi uh, by Elizabeth McLeod. And it's, well, this one really primarily just covers 1928 to 1943, Well then, Correct, correct. But so, I might give us a clue at the tail end. Okay, I'll look at the tail. humor in a lot of stuff. <laughs> <That was> <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What about, why can't I, I'll just pull up the <laughs> John Denning book. John Denning book, which sits, sits here right on the counter here. Okay. I'll grab it. Well, for pity's sakes, I've got mine right next to me. Too. Matter of fact, I found out that there's somewhere on the web that if you go on the web, folks, somebody, I remember, has, um, scanned the whole book, the whole book. So, you know, if you're one of those people who doesn't have a copy, but you got a web, you could go there. You better have a good connection, though, because that's a lot of books to be in a PDF file. But, you know, you could open that up, and as Walden and Patricia are asking some of these questions, you might find your answers there. I don't know. Some of these questions they ask are pretty hard. I don't even think Deming is going to cover them, but what do you think, Patricia? Would they have a good time? An easier time answering your questions with Dunning beside them? I don't think so. Okay. They ask baby questions. No, I actually don't. I, I was told that a couple of times that the questions were easy, so I made them a little bit more difficult last week and this week. Uh, what was the easiest question? What were some of the easiest, easy questions you were asking? Oh, my goodness. Walden, what were some of the easy questions I was asking? Well, you were, at, you were giving them... Uh, Family Game Mall, we had three sponsors, name one of them. Mm-hmm. You were asking what characters on the Great Gildersleeve Show was not really part of the Great Gildersleeve Show. What character on the Great Gildersleeve Show was not really a part of the Great Gildersleeve Show? Right, so in other words, she gave you an A, B, C, D, E, F, you read all the characters, and she asked which one was not. Oh, I got you. I thought you were going to say, like, was it like Merck, the yeah, telephone operator on Firming and Molly, where it was always referenced to, but you never heard them. But but, that was, uh, you know, that one, last week, uh, they were a little bit more difficult. On the first week, I asked whether it was true or false that Throckmorton T. Gildersleeve was Fibber and Molly's next-door neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the early part of the show. Yes, he was. That was, And he was a spinoff. Um, it was really cool. And what did Wallace Wimple call his wife? Reedy Face. Yeah, right. And um, Dale Gordon had a voice. A big fat wife. In many, many. Was it true or false that he was also Flash Gordon? Was he Flash or was he Buck Rogers? Flash Gordon. He was, was the, Flash Gordon? He was the first Flash Gordon. Okay, I always thought it was Buck Rogers. Okay, so it's Flash Gordon. Okay. These questions are in the trivia package that I will email to you. I keep adding a question here and a question there, so I haven't sent it to you, but I guess it reminds me, too. Yeah, is that, yeah, we are doing, I was going to say about questions, hard questions. We do, um, we're doing our trivia, our annual trivia 
show at the Reps meeting on March, the first Saturday of March, 2 p.m. Pacific time. If you're in Seattle, come by and see us. We want to shameless plug. But um, what's funny about it, we found over the years that the way we do it is that there's always there's always at least one Walden in every audience. Have you ever noticed that? Yep. And we found out that if you just open it up to anybody to ring a bell, that that one Walden answers everything and nobody else has a good time. So what we generally do is we generally gag the Walden. Yeah, I'm just thinking about you, Walden. <laughs> in this case, How do we love you, bet? Yeah, I know, we love you. No, we don't. What we do is we generally have a panel, um, and we take, you know, it's, and we have like a Bob Herman who's is very similar to Walden and, and Glenn, Glenn Sesson, and there's couples that are just totally knowledgeable that would get any question we ever ask. So we generally have two panels, and we pick people from the audience, and we don't pick them. And then if the panel doesn't get it, then anybody in the audience is allowed to answer it. And then they can go up later. We don't keep it. We just don't. We want everybody to participate. So what we generally do is we'll have some harder ones that when they get thrown to the audience, and it's specifically for those guys in mind, but for the original people on the panel, because we found out that really the, a lot of people love the shows and come and listen to them. They don't have the encyclopedia of knowledge about the shows that maybe some people do, and so they just want to hear, they want to know uh, something simple like, you know, like Pepsodent, you know, some simple thing, complete this sentence, you know, uh, um, some advertising slogan or, or something, or, you know, and Bonnie and I write interesting trivia questions just to see if we can fool people. Yeah. Like, who lives in Grant Tomb? Oh, that's a good one. And they, they, grant, they, they all agree, no, nobody lives there, though he's dead. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then... Or who's burying Grant's tomb? Yeah. And then, you know, somebody, and somebody, there was an argument there because, you know, that Grant, that Grant wasn't really buried there. He was buried somewhere else. He wasn't buried in the tomb. <laughs> so I was like, boy, you know, it's knowledge that we never know. So, anyways, about Amos and Andy, I'm going to give you your answer for Amos and Andy. Um, January, um, it ran, I'll give you a little bit of synopsis going all the way back if you want, real quick. It doesn't take that long. Um, originally, according to Dunning, it, started, it, it appeared first to Sam and Henry. But I believe those were not live. I think, or maybe they were live on WGN, and then what were they shipped around the country on transcriptions or something? Yep, the English chain, that they called it. Chainless chain, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then uh, March, you know, then it, it kind of stayed there, and then it became, it went to NBC. It, you know, it was 15 minutes, and it went to M WMAQ, actually, it wasn't NBC, just WMAQ, Chicago. And then August from 1929 till 1937, it was on the NBC Blue Network. And then it moved to the NBC Red Network. It was initially on at 10 o'clock. And then, in the actually, that was actually Central Time Zone. It actually appeared originally 11 p.m. Central Time. And that actually, what happened was when they moved it to 7, there was a lot of, it's such a popular show, there was a lot of outcry from the folks out west because it came out too early. That was the first example of a show that repeated its program for the West Coast. Anyway, so then it went, then it from 38 to 39, it, uh, well, it basically stayed on NBC until about um, 1939. It went to CBS in April of 39 to February of 1943, and all this time it was on, its, you know, weeknights at 7 o'clock. And then our big question is that what happened in, in the fall of 1943? Well, October 8th of 1943, it moved to NBC Friday nights at 10. Yeah. It was reorganized and heard as a 30-minute situation comedy with new characters, a new announcer, 
and an orchestra, and it was sponsored by Lever Brothers with Rinse for Rinso. It, it stayed at NBC in that time spot um, till 45, and then in October of 45 till July of 48, it moved to Tuesday nights at 9. It became part of that very famous NBC Tuesday night comedy lineup, which of course included our favorite show, Fimbergy and Molly. It actually preceded that. It was on at 9. Fimbergy and Molly was at 9.30. And then from four, in 1948, it moved to CBS and went to Sunday nights at 7.30. Opposite our other favorite show, Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Isn't that interesting that they would put two winners up against each other? Well, about that time, that's what was happening right there. And, you know, it's really funny. I'll tell you a little bit of something I read about not too long ago is that Phil Harris kept pitching and pitching and pitching for something about, was he wanting to go to CBS? Was that what it was, Walden? Or? No, he wanted to stay at NBC. He did. But there was something about somebody kept pitching, maybe somebody was pitching him to move to NBC or something. So any of these, what happened is that Rexall, anyways, didn't go. Oh, I mean, that's what it was, that Rexall wanted to go to CBS, and maybe Harris didn't. So eventually... Rexall just moved over and ended up sponsoring Amos and Andy. Andy, and that's when you hear RCA Victor taking over Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Right. So they wanted to keep their 7.30 time spot, but they, they wanted to go to CBS, but Phil Harris didn't want to go, so they just moved over to Amos and Andy and sponsored that. Huh. Not very loyal, is it? I guess not. You know, and that's just shameful, you know? So, anyways, but, you know, the, so that, you know, then Phil Harris ended up moving to, I think, Friday or Thursday nights, and then uh, lasted until, what, about 54, maybe? Yep, he sure did. So, it's, you know, by TV standards, that's a long run, but actually by radio standards, that's not uh, the longest run, but even it started, it, it started as a Fitch bandwagon for, in 1946. Good eight years. So that's, yeah, so it's, yeah, exactly, so... You know, eight eight years is pretty is considered a long run for a TV sitcom, or it used to be. So, but for radio, when you think that some of those shows were on for, geez, twenty twenty five years, it, it seems kind of short by those standards. So, yeah. So, anyways, I should get off the phone so that people can call because I know I've forgotten that people can't call in while I'm blah 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 in here. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna get off. I'll leave you guys alone for the rest of the night. Enjoy the show. Please, callers, I'm getting off for you so you can hear good time radio shows and you can call in and answer uh, Patricia's wonderful quiz questions. And they're great, and Patricia's take, put a lot of time into it. So get off your tushes and call in. <laughs> Be nice. <laughs> Play nice, Brian. I'm glad you called in. Thank you for all the information and for wrecking the image of the Indian. That was really nice of you to do that. I'm I'm always known for wrecking. Am I a pain or what? <laughs> I really did I, not know that and had missed it. When I'll send you an email on that. I'm sure I have that in my archives somewhere. So yeah. Anyways, so anyways, you have a great, great, wonderful evening, and Walden. Yes, sir. Enjoy, enjoy the evening. All right, Brian. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Brian. Bye bye. 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 There's Brian Haygood. There is Brian Haygood. So do we have time to play another show, or do you want to let it go until next week? I have time to play the show. <gasps> wow. I have time to play the show, and also after that, we're going to feature Mark Graham's interview about his new book about the shadow. Oh, excellent. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to continue till the, the cows come home. My 
goodness, you Mr. Robin goes to bed in the afternoon because he just doesn't know, and I'm prepared. Be prepared, Boy Scout model. 714-545-2071. Do you know Patricia's trivia question? The question, and this is a bonus question, so you can call in and either take your potluck trivia with regular questions or answer the bonus question. What was the name of the cab company uh, that was in Amos and Andy, the company that Amos owned, and why was it named that? So if you can answer the first question, you'll get two CDs. What was the name? And if you can answer both questions, what was the name and why did it get that name, you'll get three CDs. That's a pretty decent prize, I think. That's and you get to pick which CDs you want. And that's a good prize. And if you can't figure it out here in the next few minutes, we'll save that till next weekend. You bet we will. And then, of course, we have the regular everyday type. You can answer these questions, medium ones. Uh, they're not easy, easy any longer. They're medium ones because I was told they were too easy. And uh, you can take potluck on them. What, the the, end. what is a potluck meal for Patricia? Oh, anything that tastes good at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have an unconventional lifestyle. I think you know that. I know. Well, well, if we have a little chicken and a little turkey on there, I think that'll make Patricia happy. Oh, gosh, turkey would be wonderful. Turkey. Chicken is number two. Turkey and a little stuffy, maybe? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Or a great big bunny food salad. Bunny food salad. Love bunny food. Do we do we need any particular dressing on the bunny food salad? Vinegar and uh, wine vinegar and olive oil. Ah, I like that. Good stuff. And mm. we put all sorts of veggies in there, and maybe a hard-boiled egg. Yep. Protein. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. 714-545-2071. So our uh, hotline number. And I'd like to thank uh, Professor Mickey Smith for coming on with us earlier tonight. But he's sound asleep. That was extra special nice. I mean, it was really just a great time with him. And uh, as a reminder, his book, he is the author of a new Fibber McGee and Molly book. The title is How Fibber McGee and Molly Won World War II. And by golly, if you read even 50% of the book, you're going to understand why. Fibber and Molly helped win the war. It was good stuff. So we have one more show. Can we do one more show? We can do one more show. We can do one more show. But we do need a call for trivia tonight. For goodness sake, somebody is out there and still awake. Maybe New York. We have not heard yet from New York. You think New York is still there? I hope so. My gosh. The poor people, they were swamped with snow. Maybe they're still digging out up there. It was really a... Rough, rough winter in that part of the country. So you call us and let me know if snow's still white. So if it's still <laughs> white, you can give us a call at 714-545-2071. You know, we in California like to know if snow's still white. So if you're from New York and can let me know, I think you can qualify for one of Patricia potluck questions. 714-545-2071. Interesting requirements I have for the callers. Yes. Yes. I, I think that's a pretty good question. <laughs> as long as these poor people can find their phones in the middle of the snow, I hope it's getting better. Uh, I, I know that the um, 
the mid-Atlantic states were hit very hard, and so some of the northeast was hit. I have a snow. I have a snow. Um, a snow story for Patricia. Okay. Um, my mom's first cousin uh, has two grandchildren. Okay, so one of them. It decided to go see that they were born and raised here in California. They were about 18, 19 years old. And one decided to go back to Nebraska to play baseball. So he and his grandmother said, Well, worry because he's never lived in the snow. <laughs> well, he moved back there and he loved Nebraska. He loved playing with the snow. He loved playing baseball. He loved Nebraska. And he had a cell phone. He was on his phone with his grandmother, and his grandmother, he said, How do you like Nebraska? And I like it. I like it just fine, grandmother. I'm having one problem, though. Okay, what is that? You know, I was outside, and I dropped my cell phone. <laughs> okay. You know, I said, Well, I was going to go back out and look for it, but there's some snow that fell down. Okay. So the time I went out there, grandma, and looked for my cell phone, there was all the snow. So are you going to look for, no grandma, I'm going to wait till the snow melts next spring, then I'm going to go look for the cell phone. Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, yeah. So there's a snow story with a cell phone. That's a good story. Yeah. You can keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> 714-545-2071. And so next, next weekend, everybody, uh, we'll... We'll have some good stuff. We'll have a Dwayne Kiltrip, uh new show at the top of the show on Saturday night. Then the Radio Association of Colorado. And then Patricia will come on around 12.15 to 12.30, depending on when they finish their show. And we'll have trivia. She'll pick up a couple more Fibber shows, and we'll see what else comes on. So do you know Patricia's question about Amos and Andy? 714-545. 2071. And if you don't know that answer and want to call in and play trivia, I've got loads of other questions. Anything new in your research this week on Old Time Radio, Patricia? Anything that you learn this week by reading or listening to a show? Anything that caught your little bunny ears? My little bunny ears. <laughs> well, uh, what catches my bunny ears are things like the line that I asked Mickey Smith about when Molly, I was in one of our shows from last week, and Molly's line was, you can't, you can't get a forecast these days. The only thing you're going to get is what the weather was yesterday, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I don't have it verbatim. So those are the kinds of things that stick out. I collect these items and kept them in folders, and I've kept them on, on files all over the computer. Those are the things that I listen for, and I like a lot. I didn't learn anything in particular except from Dr. Smith's book, or Mickey Smith's book, um, about Don Quinn and the history of the times and the eras that these shows were playing. And really, the, the amount of research he must have put in this is staggering, just staggering. And he said, well, you know, it's only taken me three years, and a little bit here and a little bit there. But the information 
that he pulled together, and it's blowing me away that he did it on a yellow legal pad, not even a computer. Um, he must write fast, and he just had everything laid out in front of him. This is a really very well-done book, and it's very easy to read. Lots and lots of information, and it concentrates on the war years. So that was good. He, have you figured out when you write your first old-time radio book how you're going to do your research and how you're going to write it out that way you'll write it in two, three years? I will never be an expert in old-time radio. If they want to hear and interview me as an old-time radio appreciator, I'd be happy to talk to anybody else. But write a book? My goodness, no. Well, you could write a book on your appreciation of old-time radio. Yes, I could do that, but I'm not sure anybody would want to read it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not of much value if you write a book and nobody wants to read it. No, they might. They never know. You would, if, if I sent it to you, you would, you would make good out of it. But uh, you're special. Ah. Want to hear about our next show? Sure, I'm all anxious for it. You bet. Are well, you? We still need a caller out there. We do. By the time I get to the end of this introduction, I want and hope that we will have somebody who loves to answer questions, or at least just say hi. Okay, the next show is titled, The McGee's Take in a Sailor. And that's from January 30th, 1945, so then we're moving closer toward the end of the war. But the war is... I hear a phone. You think that's our little ear? Hello, Carl? Hello? And who's this? Uh, take a guess. Is this Fred from Vermont? Uh, it is. Fred, hi, how are you doing? Good. What Shall are we? you doing at 3.30 in the morning listening to old-time radio? I'm so glad you do. down here, and um, it's, <laughs> it's, 
You know, it's just not common. <laughs> well, you know, if you don't have the equipment, you don't have the equipment. No. My sister is in Alabama, and she had snow at the same time. She's been uh, a more southern part of Alabama. And I thought, oh, well, you know, if they get cold weather up there, she said it has not snowed here. I think she said nine years. They had some snow nine years ago. One time, nine years ago. So even they got it. Well, it's changed since I was even a kid, because I can remember when I was a kid, we used to get a lot, it seems like a lot more snow than we get now. We used to get, I can remember from October to March, we'd get six inches twice a week. And we'd never close school. You know, we'd close school if, you know, if you got over a foot or one, they might close, or if it was ice, like, a, like, like you know, like an ice storm. Mm-hmm. And then close school. But six inches, seven inches of snow? Never, because we'd, we'd, we'd never been in school. We'd been closed all the time. Yeah. And, and now, they, you know, we get six, even six inches up here, they close, seven inches. Um, I, mean, I can remember when I was growing up, we could never see out of our driveway from, you know, November till end of March, because the snow banks were so high. You have to pull almost out into the road and see to pull out. And that hasn't been the case around here in years. Even even up here, we don't we don't get anywhere near what we used to get. When you had enough snow that you couldn't see over the mound, how long would it take to melt in the in the spring? When was it gone? Oh, usually, oh, middle to the end of March. It would okay. it would be low enough that you could see again. Um, but you know, be from the snow plow, just plowing it off the side of the road. Sure. And plowing it up, and, the, and the, the, side, the banks would just get so high that you couldn't see to pull out. Now a lot of people would go out and whack theirs down, but a lot of people didn't. You know, they'd literally shovel their so they could see getting out of the driveway. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I can remember every Christmas as kids, we have enough snow. You guys probably don't know what these are, but we used to make things called snow tunnels. Uh huh. Where you go out and you would dig, you dig a big hole in the ground, and that'd be like a little, would be like a miniature snow fort because it was in the ground but it was surrounded by snow. And then you would dig a tunnel. There would literally be a tunnel on the ground. You'd dig another room, and you'd have all these little complexes. You have to have a lot of snow to do that. I, I guess so. It was like we would do it every Christmas. I can we'd do that every Christmas vacation. That's a lot of snow, Fred. Yeah, and now we don't get. You know, we don't have anywhere near that much anymore. I don't. I can't remember a winter. You know, we'll get there'll be a lot on the ground, but we'll get it in like one or two big dumpings. You know, like we'll get like two feet at once. Yeah. Um, and before we used to get, like I said, we get four, five, six inches twice a week regularly from November through February. Used to all the time. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So the weather is definitely changing, though. They can say what they want, but mm-hmm. there's something going on with this planet, whether it's natural or not natural. It's definitely changing the patterns. It is, and it has been for quite some time. But when it gets to the point where it's a dramatic change from what we were accustomed to many years ago, it finally inches, 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 you can recognize exactly how much it has changed, and it's a lot. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. 
Are you? Do you want to play trivia tonight? Oh, I'll try. Right. You want um, potluck trivia, or you want to take a shot at the Amos and Andy Cab Company? Uh, we'll go potluck. We'll go potluck. Okay. Let's here. Um. All right. We've got one here. Edgar Bergen. Edgar Bergen had two dummies in addition to Charlie McCarthy. Now, I've got three questions here. I'll, I'll run through all three questions, and if you give me one answer correct. Um, it doesn't sound like a good topic, but we'll try it. Uh, question number one. Edgar Bergen had two dummies in addition to Charlie McCarthy. have to name one of those two. The next one, who starred in the Martin and Lewis show? And number three. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're in good, in good shape there. Okay. Number three was Fibber McGee used to greet one of the weekly characters with, Hiya, Uppy. What was Uppy's name? So, which one do you want? I'll take the second one. Okay. <laughs> How about Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis? You got it. Okay. Right. <laughs> do you want to take a shot at the first one? Edgar Bergen had two dummies in addition to Charlie McCarthy. Do you know one of them? I have no idea. Never listened to the show. Never did. No. Had uh, Walden, what were the two? Well, Effie Clinker. Right. And Mortimer Snowed. You got it. Yeah. Good. I mean, silly me. I couldn't. <laughs> of course you would have known the answer. Walden is our encyclopedia. Oh. And the third one was, Firma McGee used to greet one of the weekly characters. And this was a weekly character. She was there all the time. Hiya, Uppy. I listen to the show, too, and I still don't recognize that. Uppy. Hiya, Uppy. That's a little girl, right? That's a little kid. I didn't hear that. Would you say that again? Oh, it was a little kid, was it? Wasn't teeny, no. No, it wasn't teeny. I have no idea. Walden? It was Mrs. Uppington. Mrs. Uppington. Do you know what her first name was? Abigail. Very good. I guess um, that. Okay, Fred, you've got yourself a CD. What are your favorite Walk shows? Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Patricia wants to know what, what, what do you want in your favorite show? Oh, uh... uh you sent me a bunch of folks here gentlemen already. You asked me one time, uh, a long time ago, for something that I didn't have. And whatever it was, I got it. <laughs> oh, is that the Space Patrol? I have Space Patrol. I think you sent me some of those. You sent me some of those. How about some Red Riders? Oh, uh, Red Rider I have. Yeah, I'll take that. All right. Okay, you will have Red Rider coming, and I'm positive I have your address from before. Let me see. Uh, don't go away, because I might need it. Um, but um, but um Names and addresses, I'm sure. I have something named, named, okay, let's see here. Yes, I do. I have your address. So I will make um, a Red Rider CD for you. I will get it in the mail, and uh, you should have it next week. Okay, I got a question for Walden. Uh-oh. Yes? I always wanted, I was always curious about this, because I'm a blind member myself. Is it, was it your blindness that got you involved in alliance? It, well, did, did my blindness get me involved in alliance? Yes. Um, well, it's sort of an interesting thing. I, n not really. 
Um, my Lion Club is made up of guys from the old my all my old Boy Scout days. Oh, okay. So I grew up. Uh, before I left my site, I was in Cub Scouts, and then uh, and then when I was going through all my eye surgeries, all my Cub Scouts were just sick and hearted, so they would they they couldn't wait till I got back and. So I grew up very big in the Boy Scout program, and I moved up very high in the rankings throughout the all the district. And thus, uh, after I graduated from college, some of the line club were drafted. Uh, Boy Scout guys were drafted in the line club, and they just started to, you know, volunteer groups are very hard nowadays, folks. They, you just don't have a lot of them. People are not joining. And so it wound up, a lot of us just started to invite old people we knew through the scouting program. So our Lion Club is really made up of a bunch of people from uh, old Boy Scout days. Yeah, and then you get, for every time that join, you get one or two to show up and do anything. Yeah, and that's it's very unusual because our, our club cause it's made up of a bunch of doers. Because uh, these are guys who are ego scouts, these are guys who are who ran scout, uh, scout camperies. These were sort of the, uh, the cream of the top through the Boy Scout program. Okay. And so our club has always been sort of a get up and do things. That's good. And uh, what made it sort of unique in a lot of ways, a couple of things, we love to sing and we sing poorly. <laughs> and so the restaurants always like to close the door on us. Uh, there you go. And we also, because um, of our age demographics, uh, all of our scout master, all of our scout friends, guys who we known for 30, 35, some have started to pass away, and we have uh, invited the widows to become members of our club. Okay. That way, we still keep the family connection. That's a good idea. And that's how we have. Uh, that way, the scouting program is just, just a strong bonding thing. And so a lot of us know each other for 35, 40 years. And when you're so when you're camped in the wilderness and created a you know, fires running through the forest, forest, so you, you sort of close, you sort of build a, a bondness with each other, so. That's good, that's cool. Yeah. Good so, history, yeah. Write that up for Lion Magazine, that'd be a good story. Yep, 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 I, I, I think you're right. That's I think you're interesting. right. We've got a, I, I just did one for the Sons of the American Legion Magazine, we've got the only, uh, uh, we've got the only Sons of the American Legion officer nationwide with Down Syndrome. Wow. And he's our club historian. Wow. And the young man, well, I say young man, he's 65. Right. He does one hell of a job. That's well, four for him, and we got no club history. This guy's, there was a digital camera and every of that. <laughs> yeah. It's important. We, we have, um, we have had, we have adopted people who are, uh, completely, um, who are not expected to live uh, into into the 40s, and uh, they want to become members of our club because they're completely uh, wheelchair bound. They don't have any arms, legs, and moves, or speaking abilities. But we we openly adopt them, to, and we have them be so sure involved doing things that they can do. You know, we it's a beautiful thing about the Lion Clubs or different or social organizations that you sort of look for each other to try to make it work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know? a lot of people that, like, I'm, I'm wheelchair, but, well, not wheelchair bound. I have, uh, I was born with severe, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh. 
So I use, and I coach basketball. Right. And I use a wheelchair at basketball. And I'll use it, you know, if I'm going someplace where there's going to be a lot of walking, I'll bring a chair. Right. It's that kind of thing. It's not where I'm, I mean, I can walk. Right. It's not the kind of thing I like to do for any length of time. Um, I walk a little more now that I got a new hip. But that's the other thing is amazing is just what they can do today is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pretty amazing. But, yeah. So, well, I just wondered, I was curious. I know that uh, I know that Helen Keller got the Lions in the early 1900s. Right. Vision is their main, their main focus. Sure. Sure, and they... Well, there's a connection there. They, yeah, but indirectly managed was through the scout program. Um, it's the world's for the people who may or may not know, it's the world's largest volunteer organization in the world right now. It's over a million members. And so, the, but as you've probably seen, Fred, and a lot of people, volunteer groups uh, are dying off. And because uh, the young generation, they're trying, to, they're trying to keep bread on the table. And you got two, three people, some of them working two, three jobs just to try to support the family. And so you don't have a lot of young people joining volunteer groups to do things for the communities right now. Right. They don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't. It's, and it's too bad because it's a time where we really need them. It's important. Yeah. It really is important. I mean, you can't, can't look for the government to fix everything. No. Sure. No. We're gonna help ourselves out, but no. well, I'll let you guys go. I just you, I said you you said you wanted me to call, so I was awake. I said, well, I better call. Can't believe you were awake and heard the call. That's like my dad said, you know, just sleep when I die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really happy you called in. Well, I'm glad I did too. Thank you, Fred. Oh boy, I just watched some guy go upside down in the bobsled run. I don't think he's supposed to do it that way. Mm, no, they're having trouble with the bobsled run this year. Yeah, I bet that hurt. He went down the whole track upside down. Mm. Well, I do appreciate your calling in, sir. Okay, well, you guys have a good night. I've enjoyed the show so far. I've been dozing on and off. But well, good. The part that you heard, I'm glad you liked. Yes, I did. That, first, that interview, the last interview you did was great. He was so wonderful. I really am so grateful that he spent the time with us. Uh, it was it was a it was a nice little chat. Yeah. Why doesn't Brian call in more regularly? You guys used to do that weekly. Oh, I know, I know. Brian's a busy guy. I keep saying the people miss but you, Brian, and. Oh, I never used to laugh so hard when you used to get together. Oh, I know, I know, I know, and I and I keep telling him that. <laughs> And, uh, you know, hey, I said, Brian, I know you got a job. I know you, I know everybody's expecting you to rebuild their houses. But, Brian, you got to make room for the listeners. So, you, right. you're right. We miss it. We it, do. It was funny stuff. He is funny. So, but anyway, I'll let you guys all go. Thanks, Fred. Fred, thanks. All right. Bye-bye. And there's our good friend, friend from Vermont. So, we heard from almost New York. Almost New York. We heard from the Northeast. I'm going to cough in your ear. All right. This is Jesse the USA. And while Patricia does that pretty little hoof hoof sound, I'll tell you uh, two weeks from tonight, Jimmy Nelson is going to be on with uh, Patricia live at the top of the show. That would be March the 6th. Uh, I'm working on some other projects. Um, 
I'm gonna, I'm probably this week will give a, a call to another New York radio personality to be a guest on the show. Cool. And his name is Richard Lamparski. Richard Lamparski is the gentleman who's written 13 books of the famous series, Whatever Became Of. So he would interview, look for people who people have forgotten in Hollywood and show pictures of what they look like and what they were today. And he had a regular radio series in New York for over seven years just interviewing people like that. Wow. So, so I'm about ready to give him a call. So we'll see when we'll film into the program. Oh, great. I hope you connect. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Well, Patricia, should we should we talk about one thirty forty five? One thirty forty five from January thirtieth, nineteen forty five. The name of the show is "The McGee's Take in a Sailor," and the title of the show has the word "sailor," but it was actually a merchant marine that the McGee's took home for. Um, actually, it was just for an overnight when there was quite literally no room at the inn. Um, it was the Biltmore in Wistful Vista. Fibber stopped in to buy a cigar, and he and Molly saw this soldier, or in, an in-uniform person, um, sitting there while there was a huge line waiting uh, for service, and nobody could get a room at the hotel. So Fibber and Molly um, encouraged the guy, and he, he wound up coming home with them. So it, it is another show that was devoted entirely to a war-related topic, and um, it, it, it was an unveiled call. And when I say unveiled, it was uncouched. I mean, there was just no question that it was an appeal to all capable men who could join the Merchant Marines because they needed personnel. So it, it was one in... The Fibber McGee and Molly book that we talked about tonight that I had never heard before, and I didn't have, but I found it. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty nifty show. So it is, one more time, The McGee's Take In a Sailor. It's from January 30th, 1945. And it's a, a really great show. The end. The end. The end. You want to say goodnight to everybody? I do want to say goodnight to everybody. Boy, this was a long night tonight, and everybody stuck with us. Thank you so much, everybody, and I will talk with you all next week. Have a great week. And we go. Respectfully dedicated tonight to the United States Marine, the Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. of Johnson's Wax for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. Don't you wish you could live in a world where there wasn't any dirt? Think how much time and work and money you could save. But we do have dirt, so the sensible thing is to figure how to get rid of it with the least possible effort. One way, of course, is with the regular use of Johnson's Wax on your floors, furniture, woodwork, and other surfaces. 
Here's an important thing to remember. Both Johnson's liquid wax and cream wax clean as they polish. The dirt comes off when you apply the wax, and when you polish the surface, it becomes immaculately clean and beautiful. The film of Johnson's wax itself is invisible, but it protects against moisture and wear and can be renewed when necessary to make that protection last indefinitely. If you haven't been using Johnson's liquid wax or the cream wax, try them, especially on your furniture, woodwork, and accessories. You'll know what we mean when we say the wax cleans as it polishes. Seventy-nine Wistful Vista always stops at the best hotels. In fact, he's just stopped at the Wistful Vista Biltmore and bought a cigar. And here, walking through the lobby, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Wise guy. What's the matter? Oh, that cigar clerk. I asked him if he would sell me an El Ropo Caballo, and he says yes. I can sell you one, but don't light it in here. What? My goodness. Heavenly days, look at that crowd around that hotel desk, McGee. Mm, bunch of unfounded rumors trying to find a place to lay their weary luggage. <laughs> they just turned away that gray-haired man with all the gold braids. Hmm? Say, what does four gold stripes on a navy sleeve mean? Oh, he's the officer in charge of distributing pinup pictures. <laughs> they call him a petty officer. Ah? Uh -huh. Petty's the fellow that draws. Oh, look, McGee. <laughs> what look at? over there. Huh? That sailor, sitting on the suitcase. He looks so discouraged. Oh, no wonder he's sitting on the lock. <laughs> he ought to turn it up on end. Nice looking lad, isn't he? Maybe we could do something for him. No, I don't know what, but it won't do any harm to give him a kind word. Come on. Hi there, sailor. What? Oh, how do you do? Anything bothering you, son? Except us. <laughs> I'm glad you spoke to me, ma'am. I, I was so lonesome I was about to go out and shoot myself. What? Game of billiards. Mm. Oh. <laughs> well, not that it's any of our business, but uh, couldn't you get a room here in the hotel? No, ma'am, nor any other hotel. It's all right, though. I'm just here for one night. Oh, one night is too long to sleep sitting on a suitcase, bud. You'd be going around tomorrow with circles under your pockets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can make it up on the train tomorrow. What branch of the Navy are you in, uh, if it isn't a military secret? I'm in the Merchant Marine, ma'am. My hitch is up. Oh, my gosh, it is? Well, we'll stand in front of it if you want to hitch it down. That sea going underwear. McGee! He means he's been discharged. Yes, ma'am. I'm on my way home now. Oh, going to join up again, bud? I don't know, sir. I might. And then again, I might try to get established in some shore job. <laughs> 